I, I wish, I wish I could. If I had the money, I, I would. Um, well, what I've always wanted to do. Have Have you ever you ever had those thoughts? You ever said, "Man, if, if if I just had the money, I would do this. If I could just be." In this position, I could really go and do this. And, and if, if I just had an opportunity, I, I would do something. And you can fill in the blank. And I would guess all of us have finished those sentences at some time in our life. And, you know, when we're very young, we do it all the time. And as we get older... We say it more with regret than we do with anticipation, or we say it with resignation. And, and sometimes we, we just chalk it off to fantasy. We think it's something that, well, you know, I don't even know why I'm having these ridiculous thoughts, you know, because it could never happen, and it, and it never will. I mean, there's some things I, I think about that I would like to do, and I know they will never happen, and they should not, actually. But most of these things that go on in our heads and our minds are not there by accident. They're not there because we don't have anything better to think about or we ate pizza for dinner the night before. They're there because of something that is part of our DNA, part of who we are as humanity uh, that, that resides there really in many ways waiting to be released. So I, I've got this series that we just started last week, and, and the series um, has this premise that we start with, and that is that God has already created the future. And I don't know that we think about that. You know, God does not live in our, um, in our dimension. He lives in a dimension that's much greater than ours, much wider than ours. And literally, he has gone into the future and he has created the future. And then he has stepped back in time to where we are and he tries to bring us into that future. And you say, where is this coming from, Greg? Well, it's, it's coming from God's word. Uh, the Bible in Revelation, it's, it's filled with it. You just read it over and over where, where God is called the Alpha and Omega. And, and those are two words. Alpha is the first letter of the Greek alphabet and omega is the last one. And the, and the picture is that God is beginning and he is in. He is everything. He knows everything. Nothing has surprised him. Even if you look through thousands of years of history and then there is the, the crucifixion of his son. That was not a, an afterthought of God's. It wasn't something that he thought of, oh, maybe this would work. Um, it was something that had been planned from the very beginning of time. And, and so God has this destiny, this, this plan. Uh, Jesus talked about this in, in the Lord's Prayer when he said, on earth as it is in heaven. Well, that, that wasn't uh, just words that were supposed to be, you know, said out of rote or something. That's for real on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, the idea is that there's a part of heaven that needs to be brought into earth. And so God walks back in time to where we are to see if we are going to participate in this. There's a scripture here out of Ephesians uh, chapter 2 that 
I think will end up being the theme scripture of this whole series. I didn't really think about it at the time, but I think, I think it's got some uh, possibility for being the catalyst for us in this entire series. And it says this, for we are God's masterpiece. Now I want you to personalize this. This is not, this is not a message to a group of people. This is a message to us. Each one is individuals. God, uh, we're God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus, so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Think about this now. God has a plan, and, and don't, 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 you know, poo-poo on this. Um, don't think this is, oh, God's got a boring plan, you know, we're going to go to church. I, I got my own plans. Now, you may think that, but, but God has a plan for your life that, frankly, starts to weave its way into those, oh, if I could only do this. Oh, if I only had that. Because we've been created as masterpieces, uh, not for boredom, but for something that just changes the earth. I, I told you um, last week that I'm going through this, I'm going on this journey, a personal journey. It's It's just something that God's doing in my heart. And, and this started for me a couple of years ago. And, and um, it, it's, uh, it's just a sense that God's changing some things. I'm gonna, in a few weeks, I'm going to be talking about how it affects church in general down the road and, and what we have to do as a church. But right now, I just, this, this needs to be very personal. And so a lot of what I'm sharing, I'm sharing because of my own journey. And and I want to take you guys with me. If I run into a, you know, a, a disaster, you're going with me. Um, in your notes, I wrote something down there. I'd like you to fill this out. Uh, the span of my life is not measured by years, but by assignment. By assignment. What I mean by that, <clears throat> I, I, you know, I conduct funerals often, and um, one of the things that you do in a funeral is you read the obituary and you, you put the person's name there and you say they were born on this day in this month, this year, and they died on this day. You know, we, we, we look at life as a span of time. But that's not how God looks at life. That's not how he looks at, 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 at how we live. There's this, what is it, Acts chapter 13 or 16? I think it's 13 where it says that um, David fulfilled God's purpose in his generation, and then he died. That was, that was a different picture than born on this day, dying on this day. His, the length of his life is pretty irrelevant when it comes to what is remarkable. And, and so when God looks at our life, and when, if there was another Bible that was going to be written, and then there's not going to be as far as I know, but if there was, and you and I wanted to get into it, we wouldn't get into it because we live for a span of time. The only way you would qualify is to get into it because there was an assignment that God gave you, and you completed the assignment. And you look all through history, and you'll see that that's exactly uh, how, how things are laid out. And so in response to knowing that we have an assignment, that we are God's masterpiece, that he's created us anew in Christ so we can do the things that he planned for us, 
My question to you is the, the, the name of this series, what on earth are you doing? What are you doing here while you're here? Now, inside of all of us, there's a destiny, a plan for which we've been created. You, you know I talk about this all the time. What I don't talk about much, but it's so true, is a plan shows up really in many ways in the trouble and the pain and the heartache that we go through. The, 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 the plan unfolds in the middle of all of those things. And this plan that God has for us, it may be very personal, it may be very quiet, it may happen and nobody will ever know, but you'll be right in the middle of what God is doing and it'll have incredible effects on the people around you. It may become very public. That, those things really, yeah, that's what man looks at. But what we really want to know is what does God want us to do? And so I, want to, I don't think I put this in your notes, but you may want to jot a couple of these down. I just wrote down a couple of questions that we might want to ask ourselves. One is, what touches my heart? And by, by the way, uh, this message is not going to change your life, at least not today. I think, um, <laughs> that didn't sound good, but it's true, I know. Mike Merritt tells me all the time. Um, I want you to take this home, and I want you to think about it. I, this, I, I, I want you to make an investment in you with what I'm giving you today. What touches my heart? What troubles me? Have you ever had one of those things with, oh man, we've got to do something about this. This is incredible. And you share it with people, and they look at you and go, oh yeah, that's, that's precious. You know, what's that do to you? But there's something that troubles you about that. There's something that's in you. Where have I, oh, this is awful, where have I fallen in the past? Because I think that has something to do with where you're going. What territory does God want me to take? So I want to come back to something that I gave you last week. I had a three-legged stool and I was missing a leg. So um, I want to talk about this for just a moment. I shared with you last week that we have all these life, life experiences, things that happen to us, things that uh, may not be so great. And, um, but these are the things that really shape our lives. These are the things that we make a lot of decisions from. And so let's, let's talk about that real quickly for just a moment. The first one I gave you was uh, uh, <laughs> pain. Pain. Um, a lot of you have experienced deep pain in your life. And some of you may be going through that right now. And you can look back to something that happened or something that happened over and over and over and over again. And it has had a great uh, negative effect on your life. It has been painful. And so you spend much of your life compensating for what happened. Um, I don't know about you, but with me, pain creates anger. If I hit my head on the cabinet door, I get so mad at the cabinet. I don't know if anybody else is like that, but I do. I get mad at the cabinet, stupid cabinet. I did it, but the cabinet gets blamed. Um, we do that all through our life. We get hurt. And you've heard the saying, hurt people, hurt people. Well, 
Pain is, is huge in our lives. Um, another, another deal we have is fear. We struggle with fear. Something happened. It was bad. And now we got through it or we're getting through it. We never want it to happen again. And, and so everything we do is done very cautiously and sometimes overcautiously. And sometimes we stop doing things because we don't want to deal with the fear. And, and, and it's so, so tough. And, and we just want to be secure. We just want to be safe. And so that has an impact on everything in our lives. Um, here's another big one, failure. Failure. You could write the word right beside of their shame. You've gone through the, these failures. You've gone through this shameful experience. And, and, and so you, you never want to do that again. And you'll never get over it. You'll always feel that sense of shame. Some of you experience that. And, 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 and so we look at all of these things. And honestly, these are game breakers in life. These are the things that really mess us up. And everything that happens in life gets filtered through the neurons of, of our, our mind, our thinking, through these experiences. So if you have something that comes your way, you're going to filter that through your pain or your, feel, uh, your fear or your failure, and you're going to come out with a different result than what should be happening. Now, I am never going to tell you that you need to forget those things, because you and I both know you never will. They are never going to be forgotten. I don't even think that that should be a goal. And, but if we're not careful, these are the game stoppers in life. They will mess us over and we'll never become the person. In fact, every dream we might have becomes a fantasy when we, when we let these things stop the, stop the cart from moving. And um, as I shared with you last week, one of the things that we've, we've learned is that it's actually these things, not our, you know, you're not going to be a great person doing kingdom work because you're so talented or good or perfect or did it all right. It's going to be out of your messes. It's going to be at, out of the bad experiences. It's going to be out of the failure that you really become. You know, th those are the fodder. That's the, that's the kindling for the fire that God wants to put in you to change the world around you. Now, there's one more experience or one more thing that we need to look at here today. It's a game stopper, and it is not what you would think it would be. It's not something like pain or fear or failure. It is success. Success. Now, that sounds terrible because... We live all of our lives wanting to be successful. Success is everything. It, you know, we, we are taught it, you need to study, you need to go to school, you need to do this, you need to do that, because you want to be a success. And, and so we live with that, we think that, and, and we operate on that. But what, we, what they don't tell us is that when you get to be successful, you're still the same person. And you still have the other things going on, and you still feel the same way, and you're not moving forward. You've just got something else that you have to deal with, and it's, it's quite different than the other three. So I've got some bullet points in your notes. I want you to just fill these out because you're going to come back to these later, hopefully this week, and you'll start thinking about these, and maybe you'll, you'll start to get an understanding of where I want to go today. 
But here's the first thing. If we do not take action, our future will simply be an extension of our past. So in other words, if you sit around and you wait for your destiny to happen, if you sit around and think it's going to get better or or that, that something's going to change, it will not. You will keep reliving your past over and over and over. You have to take action. Something has to be done on your part in order to change what needs to happen in your future. And, and so the, the idea that, uh, well, you know, I just want to survive, I just want to make it, I just want to keep my head down, I want to be a success, you know, I want to get through the junk over here uh, and, and, and live until I die. Nothing great is going to happen like that. Second thing, if slavery remains an option, and I, and I don't know if I put this in your notes, but I, the, the reference there, context, is the slavery of Egypt and Israel, Israel trying to get away from Egypt, because that's uh, so much in the Bible is built on that, that uh, slavery freedom context. If slavery remains an option, we will find ourselves abdicating our freedom. You remember Elisha last week, I talked about Elisha. When Elijah took the mantle of ministry and put it on Elisha's shoulders, Elisha was a farmer, a very successful farmer. He had his own plow and his own team of oxen, a very wealthy position in that day. And so when, when he took the mantle of leadership, the first thing that he did is he, he took his plow and he broke it into pieces and he put it on fire and he, he slaughtered the animals as a sacrifice and used the meat to feed all the people around What he did was he put an end to what he was doing, something that was successful, and he burned it because he didn't want to have somewhere to go. It's it's like the burning your bridges, you know, um, so you can't go back. It's we either conquer or we die. We don't call these things slavery. We call them safety. We call them responsibility. We call them security. We call them, hey, just makes common sense. We call it success. Success can be an enslavement of our lives. Here's the last thing. The assumption is that wealth is success. I I, I suppose where we live, that's... That is the assumption. Wealth, having wealth is success. I mean, you don't have to worry anymore, right? But success is a sinister tyrant that will enslave you as quickly as failure. In Judges chapter 4, chapter 5, there's a story, and I won't go into the story very deep, but there's a prophetess here by the name of Deborah. And Deborah is is this one tough lady, and she says it just like it is, right? And so the uh, Canaanites have been... Uh, just embattling the Israelites in the promised land. And finally she says, okay, we've got to do something about this. And she pulls all the tribe, tribal leaders of Israel together and she gives everybody assignments. And, and um, uh, then they have this battle and they defeat the king. And, and it's really a great story. And it's several chapters in the Bible. It's kind of fun to read about what happened. But um, at the end, when they were celebrating their victory, she writes a song. And she writes about two tribes, Zebulun and the tribe of Dan. And to Zebulun, she just sings all these accolades about, 
wow, you guys did it with, with you were outnumbered 10 to 1, and you just took the steps that were needed to be taken, and she's singing the song, and, and Zebulun is like, yeah, yeah. And then she says this about Dan, but Dan, and Dan was a very wealthy tribe. They were the money makers. These were the guys that they, 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 um, they actually were, were shipmasters. They, they were the navy for Israel. And um, she says, why did you sit on your ships and count your money at such a critical time? In other words, your success made you totally ineffective. It, it, we need to look at that in a big way today, and it's, it's really what I have to share today, because our idea of success will enslave us and keep us from becoming effective and becoming this masterpiece that God wants us, He's created us to be. So, I want to read a passage of Scripture that um, is found in Deuteronomy, I believe it's in your notes, chapter 8, verse 18. Uh, if you read this out of context, you'll find here the, the, the fodder or the, the, the catalyst uh, for what is known in Christian circles as the prosperity movement or prosperity teaching, um, which, by the way, is, is just so ridiculously self-centered and evil, and, and it just, you know, it's, it's not anything we ever want to have anything to do with. But when you keep this in context, you really begin to understand God's heart here. And, and so... I want to read this. It says, remember the Lord your God. And this was, some, this was written by Moses to the children of Israel before they walked into the promised land. Moses is trying to teach the people who God is. They don't know God. They've been 400 years enslaved. They don't know anything about Him. And he's trying to tell them who God is and what He will do. And so he talks here. This is about wealth. He goes, it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your forefathers, as it is today. Now, again, if you just read this, you go, oh, wow, cool. God's going to give me wealth. He's given me the ability to make wealth, and that'll be fun. But you have to read the whole verse, and you have to understand what he's saying. The word ability there, it's, it's a Hebrew word that's pronounced koah. And what it really means, it's, it's a word that you get chameleon from. It's the ability to change and shift. And, and so it's the, the, real, the real deal here is God gives us the ability, which means to adapt to any situation to make money for God's kingdom. Let me, let me say that again. Ability is <clears throat> the, to be able to do, adapt to any situation to make money for God's kingdom. It's, it's, it's why God gives us success. It's, it's why He does what He does. We're, we're in uh, uh, the wealthiest county in the nation. Uh, you may not think you're wealthy, but you are extremely wealthy. Why? Well, let's talk about that. Um, this is, I, I, I did this artwork last night. Um, it needs some work. But I, and I, this morning I decided to call this the Destiny Mind Map. Okay, it has nothing to do with Destiny Church. It's, it has to do with your destiny. Um, but it's, my, it's, it's some things you need to think about. So all of us, well, not all of us, but many of us have jobs. And we have careers. We have, you know, if somebody meets you, 
one of the first questions we always ask, what do you do? You know, and, and especially guys, that's, that's, you know, that's how we connect. What do you what do? You do? Uh, well, nobody ever says, well, I, I'm a husband. Um, I try to, try to be a really good husband. Uh, I, I fish. No, what do we say? Well, I, I'm a fireman. I'm a police officer. I'm uh, a stay-at-home dad. We, we say that quieter than the other things. Uh, but we always have, it's always about what we do. So, let's, let's take part, the, the four of these. You've got these in your notes. You need to fill out some blanks there. The first thing is that, that we need to figure out about us is this. What am I good at? What am I good at? What, what can I do? What is... What are my gifts or my talents or what my proclivities? Some of this stuff you'd learn in, in, I think it's step two of Grow Track or step two, one of them. It's one of those. And what am I good at? What can I do? There's nothing worse than being in a job with, with something that you're not good at. And it doesn't last long either. Um, what do I get paid to do? Okay, here's the one up here. What do I love to do? And the last one is, what does the world need now? What the world needs now is love. Anyway, um, so let's, let's look at this for a minute. If you, if you mix... Stop singing this song. I... <laughs> Um, if you look at these two, let's just put these two. What am I good at? And what do I get paid to do? If you put them together, what is that? Well, that's called a job. That's a job. Hello. Um, what am I good at? And what do I love to do? What is that? Well, that's called a passion. You have to just write this on the outside of your notes. I didn't leave lines for this. It's something you're passionate about. Um, if you mix these two, what do I love to do? And what does the world need now? Um, that's called mission. And what do I get paid to do? And what does the world need now? We'll call that vocation. Now, just I'll make a couple of comments about all of this. Um, what do I get paid to do and what am I good at? You know, there are people who have both of these going for them and still are miserable. They're good at something, they probably wish they weren't, and they get paid for it. And because they were good at it and they get paid for it, they've locked into a job and they've let that define them and they, they live this out Sometimes for an entire career. And they say that if you could simply add one more thing to this, it would be amazing. I was thinking about this earlier this morning. What, if I could mix what I'm good at and what I get paid to do and what do I love to do, if you took those things and made them all work for you, I would call that success. Um, down here, what do I get paid to do and what does the world need now? It's a vocation. Uh, that could be something that, let's, let's say it's social service or it's, it's, it's helping people. And it, 
It doesn't pay a whole lot, but it, it's somewhat fulfilling, and, and some people make that their career. I, usually, these are the three that I talk to a lot of guys about, and, and, and they, they talk about their job all the time. If you want to, you know, it, it, that's just what they do, and they love it, and they get paid. Maybe not enough, but they, you know, it's, they still love it because they love what they do, and, and it defines everything they do, and, and they, they call it success. And we, we live like that for a long, long time. But we're missing something. And it's, what does the world need now? Now, I know we can take our, our job and say, well, hey, the, the, the world needs a police officer, or the world needs a uh, post office something, or whatever it is, the world needs that. But that's, I want us to think way beyond that. As, as Christ followers, what the world needs is Jesus. And that changes everything. There is this, um, this little area right in here. I didn't draw it really well, and you can do it in your notes however you want. The guys that I've heard talk about this, um, Jordan Peterson uh, does this life authoring thing, Lance Wall now, people like that that are all commenting on this. They call this the title of my message today, which is Conversion. Conversion. And I think that's a great word. Some people call it career conversion because they take everything they have and just shift everything. But the idea of conversion is you were headed this way, now you're headed that way. You change everything based on the intersection of these four areas of life. And um, here's something really interesting. Most of the people who have studied this, the sociologists and the people who are thinking these thoughts in this way, are telling us that right now, the people who are doing this the most, who are most apt to be able to make these changes in life and be most effective, are in their 70s. Unbelievable. I, I, I had to go and check the numbers and, and get several sources on this because I found that hard to believe because of how we think. But these are people who get to a point and say, there has to be something else. You know, I did all the other things. I've got this going and I've got this going and I had this going and I've got, but there's something else. And fortunately, many today are healthy enough that they can begin thinking about other things. I think it's pretty ironic, too, if you look at who ran for president in the last election, the last four or five people that were still standing were all in their 70s. Now, I'm not saying that... Well, I'm not going to say anything. I won't win. Right now, this is not a good time to say anything about anything, okay? But, but isn't that interesting? And what about... Us. Now, that doesn't mean you have to be 70 to get here. It just means you've lived long enough that you realize that you've invested an awful lot into something that hasn't really turned the corner for you. Younger people can get this, but 
It takes work. It takes action. It takes time. And it really takes dedication and a God thing in our hearts. Because we can go through all of life and end up over here and that's the end of life and our life will be measured by our time on earth not by assignment and those things that you wish you could have wondered if you should all of that goes away and the fantasies and dreams are extinct there's this amazing passage of scripture in 2 Kings, one of my favorite stories in the Bible. And I want to read it. Um, a little background here. The um, Israelites are penned up, a group of them are penned up in a place called Samaria. And it's a walled city, very much like Jericho, our understanding of Jericho. It's very protected. And they're living in their city, doing life, and a band of Canaanites, actually it's a huge army of Canaanites, come and, to try, and try to destroy Samaria. They couldn't do it, so they simply besieged the place. Which means they camped around them, they wouldn't let any food in or out of the place, and after a month, after two months, things started getting bad. After four or five months, people started dying. There was all kinds of horrendous things that were taking place in this city. And the Israelites were, they were desperate. So here we go. Now there were four men with leprosy sitting at the entrance of the city gates. And they start asking themselves a couple good questions. Why should we sit here waiting to die? They asked each other. We'll starve if we stay here. But with the famine in the city, we will starve if we go back there. So... They're looking at their options and nothing looks really good. If we, if we go into the city, we're going to starve. If we stay here, we're going to starve. So they come up with a great plan. We might as well go out and surrender to the Aramean army. Now, I, I, I think about that as so funny. You know, this massive army and these four lepers go, they're, they're going to go and say, we surrender, you know, like... I don't think the Arameans would even want them. What are you going to do? You know, I can just envision the lepers saying, hey, let me give you a hand, you know, or something like that. A couple of you got it. Um, but they said, we might as well go surrender. If they let us live, so much the better. But if they kill us, we're going to die anyway. So at twilight, they set out for the camp of the Arameans, but when they came to the edge of the camp, no one was there, for the Lord had caused the Aramean army to hear the clatter of speeding chariots and the galloping of horses and the sounds of a great army approaching. It was just four guys going to the Aramean camp, and it sounded like a massive army. And the king of Israel, they, they started shouting and screaming, the king of Israel has hired the Hittites and the Egyptians to attack us. So they panicked and ran into the night, abandoning their tents, their horses, donkeys, and everything else as they fled for their lives. When the lepers arrived at the edge of the camp, they went into one tent after another, eating and drinking wine. They had a party. 
I mean, they couldn't even get to all the tents. They were just having a time of their life. I, to me, I, I just see that and I laugh. I think it's so funny. And they carried off silver and gold and clothing and they hid it. Finally, they said to each other, this is not right. This is a day of good news and we aren't sharing it with anyone. If we wait until morning, some calamity will certainly fall upon us. Come, let us go back and tell the people at the palace. So they went back to the city and told the gatekeepers what had happened. I, I think this is kind of amazing because you take four people who were totally rejected by their own people and they still have the moral fortitude to say, hey, what we're doing is not right. And they go back to the city to try to save the city who had rejected them. There's something powerful about that. And so they went back to the city and told the gatekeepers, we went out to the Aramean camp and no one was there. The horses and donkeys were tethered and the tents were all in order, but there wasn't a single person around. Then the gatekeepers shouted the news to the people in the palace. Well, their report wasn't received very well because the king you know, he thought it was a trap. The people were all scared. And, and so there was a whole process before they would actually go and realize what had happened, that, that something powerful had taken place. I wrote this. I, I wrote, whether you're a king who has had the resources to build a fortress to protect yourself, think about us now, or you're a leper who has found yourself alone and desperate you need to stop waiting for someone to make your life count. You need to act. Life is action. Somehow, and, and this, is, this is really the point I want to drive home today, the assumption is made that when God does guide us to wealth, when, when we finally arrive, when all the work that we've done has finally come to fruition, and we get financially solid, you know, and, and grounded for what for many becomes the rest of our lives, when we get there, that this prosperity, this success is the end of the story. That's what, we, that's what we've worked so hard for. It's what we've planned on. It's what we thought about. And we just have to get there. And, if, and we never thought about why we needed to get there. We just thought about getting there and we make that the end. But the story is not supposed to end with success. I just recently watched a documentary on Dr. Martin Luther King and, and one of the commentators who was with Dr. King for years said that Dr. King used to make this statement, if you're really going to be free, and I think that's an interesting uh, word there uh, for us, if, you really, if you're really going to be free, you have to overcome the love of wealth and the fear of death. These four lepers went on a journey. It wasn't just to their main camp. They went, on a, they went on a personal journey. They moved from survival to success to destiny. Destiny, this is in your notes, destiny moves you past what God has done for you to what God will do through you. So, I started this message today with Ephesians chapter 2. 
says we're God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things that He planned for us long ago. My question to you is, what on earth are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing with what God has given you? What are you doing in the process of trying to become successful or get to where you need to be? If you're living for success, if you're making enough money to feel secure and retire and pray for health and you don't give a rip about making a difference for eternity you have traded your assignment for success and my prayer today is that you would experience a conversion that you would look at all of this and realize This wasn't the goal. But the kingdom is the goal. Your assignment is more important than your success. The goal is not to have everything you want, to live comfortably, and then to die. What a shallow existence. I love John Piper's video and We just don't have time to look at it today, but he talks about this when he says, so we get on our boats and we collect our seashells and we go off into the future and we're never heard from again. And everything that God did to build us through all of this has been wasted. We lose I don't know about you. I don't want that to be my life. I want us to make this journey, to become the people that God has called us to be, that we could reach this plan that God put together and came back to see if He could pull us into it. Let me pray. Father, I am so challenged by your word, by the plans that you have, not just for me, but for those around me, for my children and my children's children, for my family at Destiny, for their children and their children's children. I cannot imagine more wonderful thing than watching people take action and step into their destiny. And I pray that you would grant us this. That there would be men and women here today who would say, I am not going to live with a dateline. I am going to live with an assignment. Lord, there are people sitting here today who have thought, my life is pretty well wrapped up. Wrapped up by age, wrapped up by success. 
or wrapped up by failure. And I pray that we would understand that those are the things that you will use to change the world around us and give us a reason for being on the planet. I'd like for everyone, if you would, just to keep your head bowed and your eyes closed for a moment. The verse that I read twice today, I want to read one more time, at least the first part. It says, We are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. That's the key. The key is that we are created new. We don't have to be left behind in our failure and our fear and our pain. We don't have to be left behind in our success. But it all begins with having Christ in our lives, inviting Christ to come in, to have a relationship. Not religion, that isn't going to help a bit, but to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. So maybe you need to make that step today. That's the first step in getting your assignment. So let me just pray this prayer. And if you want to make that step, pray this prayer in your heart as I pray it out loud. Dear Jesus, today I hand the controls of my life over to you. I don't even know what that means, but I know that I want to live for purpose and destiny. And I give you my life. I ask you to come into my heart. I am not perfect. I'm not good enough for this. Probably never will be. But I want a relationship with you. And so I invite you into my life. I don't know what this looks like, but I'm going to figure it out. And I ask this with all humility and from the deepest part of my life. Amen.